Hello, hello. This is Roxy. Welcome to the summer series for Saved by the City. Caitlin's on hiatus for the summer, so we we're doing a little something different. And we are taking you on the road or in the skies, our summer travel series. We're going around the world to catch the vibe in other great cities besides New York. We will be returning with our regular show for season two in September. And we've got an extra special guest for our first episode. She's going to bring you all the way back to your memories, you geriatric millennials out there. Not going to tell you who it is yet, but you can be sure Caitlin and I, we were super fangirling during the interview. So be sure to join us this fall. For now, let's go on the road to Los Angeles. From Religion News Service, it's Saved by the City, a podcast exploring the spiritual side of cities, from food to fashion to just finding your place in a city that can feel foreign. At Saved by the City, we are all about chasing our dreams without losing our devotion. For this week's summer series, we are heading out west to the land of the silver screen and the swaying palms, the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California. And our guest today is the incomparable Laura Tremaine, formerly known as Hollywood Housewife. She hosts her own podcast, 10 Things to Tell You, and is the author of the new book, Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. She's a writer, a talker, a thinker, a reader, and a friend of mine for nearly a decade. Welcome, Laura Tremaine. Hey, Roxy. This is so fun to be talking with you. Can you believe it's been almost a decade? I was doing that math earlier. The only reason that makes sense to me is because when we met, my son was a baby child, and now he is almost 10. Otherwise, no, it's gone by so fast. Yes, it really has. Well, you and I, we have kind of similar stories of growing up in small rural towns, you in Oklahoma and me in Colorado, and now you are in one of the greatest cities in the world. So tell me a little bit about your story from one-stop town to Hollywood, California. I did grow up in a teeny tiny town in southern Oklahoma, and I moved to Los Angeles the summer after I graduated college, also in Oklahoma. I went to school at OU. I moved to L.A. sight unseen. I had never been here. Oh, I don't think I realized that. I didn't know anything about Los Angeles except for what, you know, we see in movies and TV, what everybody thinks they know about Los Angeles. And I drove here. My brother drove me. I have an older brother. He's seven years older. He had a pickup truck with a big flatbed in the back. We put all of my belongings, which were very few, (laughs) into a big refrigerator box. We strapped the refrigerator box down And then we Mm -hmm. were too cheap to pay for a hotel room. So we drove literally through the night from Oklahoma to Los Angeles, like slept in my mattresses. I was bringing mattresses. My brother slept in the bed of our truck on the mattresses while I drove down the highway. We pulled into Los Angeles, you know, like dusk the next day. Basically, it's like a 24 hour drive, like 24 hours later. We pulled into Los Angeles, like onto the freeways, this crazy Beverly Hillbillies rig that we were pulling into, (laughs) 
like exited the freeway at Hollywood Boulevard. Like I remember so distinctly feeling like this, this is a real moment. Like this is the difference between where I came from in this flatbed truck to where I'm going because my apartment that I rented was on Hollywood Boulevard. And I was like, this is, I'm having a moment, everybody. Oh man. I remember that actually too, of driving with my parents in a very small moving truck because I was taking very little with me um, when I moved to New York. And there was something so different about like coming up on the city from the road and like the lights, the skyscrapers, like seeing it from that distance and being like, I am going home. What is this? Yeah, Yeah. I remember being on the 101 going through downtown Los Angeles in that pickup truck. Like it was like diesel, you know, it's making a loud noise. (laughs) We're like driving under the freeway signs that say this way to Hollywood. And I was like, this is... This is something out of a movie, but I was terrified. Yeah. But I still marked the moment, you know? Were you at that moment? Were you, you were terrified, but were you, were you questioning your decision? Were you like, what have I gotten myself into? Is this what I really want to do? Turn around and go back home? Or were you like, I've made it. I'm here. No, I wasn't questioning. I've actually never questioned Mm. that decision, even when (laughs) maybe I should have at some (laughs) points, but I, knew I wanted to be exactly here. I didn't think it would be forever. I've been here 20 years now, but I knew I wanted to be having an adventure. I'd grown up in Oklahoma. I'd gone to college in Oklahoma. I was really ready at 22 for like a big, wide experience. And also I had sort of that 22-year-old's Yes. Bravado of, you know, like I can do anything. I felt very invincible. I felt like the world was my oyster. I bought into like all of those cliches. And whenever I tell people this story, I do make sure to like point out that I had like a lot of things that that some people don't when they like set out on an adventure like that. My dad told me before I left, like the day I left. You know, I, you know, he was like, said all the loving words. And then he said, go have an adventure. You can always come home. Mm. And I think having that safety net, knowing that I wasn't closing the door, I, you know, I didn't have anyone who was, you know, exiling me Mm -hmm. or rejecting me or anything. Like what a Mm -hmm. privilege that is to have. Um, yes. A safety net in in your parents, in a location, like all of those things. And that makes a huge difference. Okay. So you, you set off for California. And what was it about LA that was drawing you? You know, when you're like landlocked in Oklahoma, there's really only mm-hmm. two places for a big adventure. And that's New York or LA. I mean, now I know that's not true. You're right. I could have right, gone to Chicago. Right. I could have gone to Miami. Like I, I mean, there's a million amazing places in our country. But like the sort of big, Mm -hmm. the biggies, Mm -hmm. the big dogs are New York or L.A. And I was I had never been to New York either, New York City. And I was way too intimidated. That's like a whole different way of Mm -hmm. being and living. And like, how do you get groceries? How do you get around? Like, I just could (laughs) not even fathom that. So like L.A. it was. Plus, who isn't 
like when they're 22, especially mildly curious about California and Los Angeles. Like it feels like the promised land, not to get all grapes of wrath about it because Oklahoma to California is Mm -hmm. like the, the journey, but it's it's like part of our DNA to want to head West. And so like I did, (laughs) I mean, California is so dreamy. And I, I'm picturing, too, like you said, like driving in at dusk. Like, there's nothing like a California sunset. Like, oh, it's so perfect. That golden light over the ocean, those tall palm trees. Oh, man. And then you got a job at MTV, which I think was like the source of the devil's music. I mean, it was... I mean, <laughs> like, I just went straight to it. But I didn't... I did not think of it like that. Like, I did not think of it as rebellious. Maybe my mm. parents did, and maybe it looked like that, but that wasn't sort of my heart behind it at all. I was really looking to change my life. I was really looking to change my identity and, like, my my story. And once you land in Los Angeles, you realize that, like, everyone here is looking to change their life and their story. They come here to reinvent themselves, which is exactly what I did. All right. We are going to come back to that because I have some questions. Um, But first, we are going to take a moment to give a shout out to our patrons. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. For the best in global religion reporting, religionnews.com. And if you like what we're doing at Saved by the City, let us know. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a lot. Send an email to sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com or follow along on Twitter at hashtag Saved by the City. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief. I felt like if anyone was going to be speaking up, It was going to have to be somebody like me. Faithful conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity in Texas with Auburn Peterson of Another Story. Also, getting ready for the 2024 vote with Adam Friedman, organizing an election strategist at Interfaith Alliance. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. Okay, so I have this picture in my head of 22-year-old Laura in her diesel truck with her brother driving into this magical, mythical city. What surprised you? So when I moved here, I was the only person I knew like who had done something like this, who had done this big, brave mm-hmm. thing. But then when I got here at the temp jobs I got, at the bar, at the coffee shop, I met people roughly my age, like in their 20s, mm-hmm. who had come mainly from the middle of the country for the same reasons I had. They wanted to get out of their small town. They wanted to reinvent themselves. They wanted to have an adventure. And I think that did throw me for a loop. It should have felt like community a little bit, but it didn't mm-hmm. because it kind of made me feel like, oh, like, y'all, like, I'm a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> there is. Nothing quite as humbling as realizing you're like everyone else. (laughs) I mean, eventually, I really grew to like that story. Like the cliche part of it, like wasn't a negative, like where it started to feel like, 
okay, this is actually what makes this city, like this is what puts in the air, like why this city is the mm. way that it is. Mm-hmm. The negative part of not that not being what I expected was people are not here permanently. Yeah. Like. That's New York too. Yeah. Like they came here to get their adventure on. Mm-hmm. But like me, they planned to go back home wherever that was and live their quote unquote real life. You know, they were going to start a family. They were going to like have a steady career. So that means that everyone that was here in their 20s, it felt like was temporary, wasn't really looking to invest in friendship. It was super hard to date Mm -hmm. because everyone sort of had – you know, their eyes looking over their shoulder, like, and I, you know, listen, that's another stereotype of Los Angeles that it's shallow here, but it's not shallow because people are like low IQ. (laughs) It's shallow because it feels like kind of less solid because all those friends I made in my twenties, all those, those temporary friends there, none of them are here anymore. Yeah. Like none of them. And I think it's, I think I felt, especially in my 20s, and even when I first moved here and was trying to find friendship, I think I felt this sense of like, I will call it clinginess, even though that sounds really bad for me. But I mean, this sense of like, like I wanted to build these friendships that were going to be like lifelong. And it would be like, Mm -hmm. I'd constantly be like seeking these reassurances of, you're not going to go, right? You're going to be here. And I think now I'm realizing like, you really have to let friendships have seasons and different seasons, like, and different types of connection. Um, and in realize and in beginning to hold my friendships a little bit differently because of that. Well, I don't know what you found when you moved to New York, but when I moved to LA making friends, making girlfriends, like the girlfriend code was totally different from what I knew in Oklahoma. So I, Mm. in the small town I grew up in, it was like cradle to grave. Like I Uh. knew the same people all the way, like through all of my schooling Uh years. And then in college, I did the whole sorority life thing. And so that sort of has its own brand of etiquette. But like both of those things are really like deep relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm you know, whether you're from a small town or whether you're in this sisterhood. So I came thinking like, that's what friendship right. looked like. I yes. didn't have right. any examples of the friend that you only go to the bar with or the coworker type of friend that you're really only mm-hmm. friends with literally at work. And so when I first got my taste of that, it felt to me like it sucked. Cause I was like, this is, there's no longevity mm-hmm. in this. I can't go deep with these people or whatever. Right. And that wasn't true. They weren't less of a people. You know, I mean, it was just a perception of, I don't even know how to do casual friendship. (laughs) (laughs) So how has LA changed you? Like when you think, when you go home or when you talk to people who used to know you or when you just think about who you used to be, like, what do you, where can you really see the imprints of LA on your life? Gosh, that's such a good question. I'm definitely less judgmental Mm. than I used to be. Maybe that would have occurred a little bit just with age and life experience. But the thing about LA is because you have so many people who are trying on different identities, 
you hold some of the things loosely that I used to cling to tightly. So like, I thought there was just like a way, there was a way to be a wife or a hostess or an employee or whatever. There was just like the way is what I thought. (laughs) And I thought people couldn't change much. And I thought, I mean, I just had a rigid way of thinking. And in Los Angeles, I mean, people are like, I'm a barista. I'm a screenwriter. I'm polyamorous. I'm trying a new religion. And like, truly, you're literally just like, okay, I mean, whatever. And Uh it that's like, to me, that's amazing to like that you can just let people try the different things. And we're sort of just we just love on each other as you know what I mean? It's like, it's not like free love, because that's a different connotation. (laughs) But you know what I mean? That it's like all this sort of Uh a lot of things are held loosely. But for like my family or, you know, friends in other parts of the country, because I have friends all over the country, that's why they think L.A. people are flaky. Like they think L.A. people are – because they change. They change their mind. They change their religion. They change their sexuality. They change their relationship status. Like they change – And so other, I think outsiders, if you're not really jiving with that mentality, outsiders think that that's just like ridiculous and yeah, and shallow and flaky and all of these stereotypes that we have, like it feels like there's no like meat to the person. Mm -hmm. Whereas to me, I feel like it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's beautiful that people are just, they're trying to find themselves, you know, they're like... I don't know what everyone's seeking. We're all seeking something. I don't know if it's like fulfillment or peace um, or you're just trying on these different ways of being until you find the one that fits or the one that fits that moment. Yeah. I don't know. But like I find it to be really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think there's such a like stereotype of L.A. Not, you know, as shallow or flaky, but also as like this woo-woo new agey like you go and you're gonna fall into some kind of cult or what you know like all there's all these you know and then there's like there's there's lots of like imagery like I I even think of like the the late episodes of Mad Men when they when he goes to California and it's this idea of like seeking this spiritual like awakening or some kind of spiritual like epiphany Mm -hmm. I mean yeah there's a lot of that you're right there's like a lot of crystals, like a lot. <laughs> yeah. But what is sort of parallel to that, like the big spirituality in Los Angeles is wellness. Uh, yeah. And every trend of wellness, I feel like, seems to originate here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it mm-hmm. can be juicing, yoga. I mean – keto. Like, I don't don't even know. Like, all of the different things, they flourish here. And all of these things that everyone makes fun of Mm -hmm. in LA because they see it on Goop or they see it on some HBO show or something that's sort of poking fun of LA people. Dadgum, if those things do not become popular in the rest of the country eventually, (laughs) right? Like, they do. We even do yoga in New York now. You probably juice too, <laughs> Roxy. Well, you can find some juicing. <laughs> That's for sure. Do you think people are are well in California? 
I think Californians, or I should really speak to Angelinos because I have not lived anywhere else in California. I think apples to apples, they are probably physically healthier by a wide margin. But emotionally or mentally or spiritually, I'm not sure. I mean, I do now think that there's so much benefit to being open-minded and open-hearted and anything goes. Like, I feel a lot of benefit to that. But because I've lived this other life, I can also see the benefit to having, you know, kind of rules to to the way a person lives, you know what I mean, to the way a community functions. And like, it's not anarchy out here by any means, but like, you can definitely see that the everything is okay mentality leads us down roads that are not, you know, I don't know how to. It is a city of seeking. And I guess I'm wondering if people are finding. I love this mentality of seekers. And I think that if you're comfortable in Los Angeles, if you like the vibe here, you know, if you connect to that, you really get what I'm saying, that it is nice to be around people who who don't feel like they have every single answer, like that there is something really communal about millions of seekers all being in the same area. It makes me feel a freedom. Yeah. I will say that. I did not feel a freedom when I lived in a community that had all the answers. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, is freedom synonymous with peace? Like, I don't know that Los Angeles is any more peaceful. I don't know. I think there's a sense of comfort for a lot of people in having an answer for sure. Um, And then I think there's a sense of comfort for a lot of people. I would put myself in this category. I think it sounds like you would too, where there's, still so much we don't know and can keep asking questions and we don't have to have all the answers in order to live with stability. So I want to always be on that journey. Um, but I also know that that can create a lot of existential angst too, where it's like, ah, today I'm freaking out about this, but. Which is exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting to constantly have an existential crisis, if not a crisis, I like the word you used better, an angst. Yes. Like, oh, maybe I was wrong about that. Oh, I never thought about it like that way. Oh, now I have to learn something new. No, it it makes you feel very uncertain. And uncertainty over Mm -hmm. a long period of time, like, wears on anybody. But I don't, I do want to defend Los Angeles in that way. I mean, everyone here is having some sort of a a seeker's crisis, be it existential, Mm -hmm. be it health and body, like we already said, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. a breaking away from their roots. And, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of that here. Like there is a constant, like low grade hum of discontent. And I think that some people, when Mm -hmm. they feel that vibe, it is repellent. Like I know people who have come here to visit and they're, they're very repelled by like the low grade discontent. I defend it because the difference between a lot of seekers and 
living in a community of certainty. I, I will choose the seekers every time. There's an honesty to it. Yeah. I think even if it can be a difficult place to live. Is it home? Does it feel like home now? For a long time, like a long time, more than 10 years, I really held fast to this identity of being an Oklahoma girl living in Los Angeles. Like it has really been a huge part of my identity that I was a little bit of this like fish out of water, small town girl Mm -hmm. in the big city. Like that was a really big part of my story. And that just slowly changed over time. It was slowly changing. Like I was slowly morphing, obviously the longer I'd been here, but then it really solidified for me. Like when I absolutely stopped introducing myself as like, oh, I'm from Oklahoma, but I live in Los Angeles was in 2016. Well, what happened in 2016? (laughs) I mean, you know, we're not going to like spin off into like this whole thing, but I was a lifelong (laughs) Republican. I stayed a conservative even after I moved here. That was again, sort of part of this, this sort of identity that I was holding both of these things for a long time. And in 2016, I just was like, you know what? Like, I'm a Californian. Like, I am looking at this landscape and I have never identified more with being a Californian. I really, like, sort of shifted my own narrative, like, to myself. I'm a California person now. I'm raising my children as little Cali kids. I'm (laughs) married to a Hollywood director. Like, it's time to just be, like, be, be what it is. So, Laura, you are also a podcaster, um, and I really enjoy your podcast, 10 Things to Tell You. Um, I'm always finding myself smiling along, but also often finding a notebook so I can write something down. Because one of the things I really like about your podcast, and you say this, is that it's interactive. So you're regularly like prompting not only your guests, but also your listeners to explore a topic or an idea or a question. Um, so we are going to take a little segment on Saved by the City and turn it into 10 things to tell you. So I'm going to turn it over to you and we are going to have a little fun with your style of podcast. So on my show, almost every episode, I ask a question and it's meant to be a conversation starter, like a way to connect with people, even the people that you like live with, like even the people who are in your direct household or people who are across the country that you, you know, need a little prompt to connect with. If you don't have any of those people, you can also take these prompts to your (laughs) journal. I just really like to get people thinking a little bit, like a little deeper, having better conversations than just the same ones we always tend to have. And so I have a few questions, Roxy, that I'm going to ask you. The first one that I want to ask you is what parts of your life right now did you choose? That's a great question because I can easily dwell on the things that I didn't choose. And it is empowering to think about what I have chosen, which one of them is cheating. Maybe a little bit. It's this podcast, um, which... 
I really enjoy and did not feel compelled to do or forced to do or drug into doing, but chose to do it. So that's one thing. And I've gotten a lot of life out of that. Uh, well, I love, love, love to decorate like house decorating. Um, and the place that I'm in, the space that I create for home is really important to me. And I have like down to every little detail in my apartment. Like I really intentionally made those choices and, um, almost everything I own has some kind of like symbolic meaning to me or a story behind it. Um, and I think especially again, during the pandemic sitting in my house all of the time, it, it felt, I felt a lot of myself in the apartment and a lot of things that like meant something to me and aren't just, you know, they're not just things I picked up at like a random house store or whatever. Choosing your space is so important. And not everyone has the luxury of choosing their place. No. But within your place, you can always choose your space and like making it your own, making it be a place of joy for you. It it absolutely matters to your mental mm-hmm. health, to your like contentedness or your productivity or whatever your space is set up to be. It like matters so much. And so I'm so glad that you acknowledge that you choose that. You you made those choices in your space for you. That's like huge. I agree. I don't think, I think a lot of people don't take that seriously enough. Mm-hmm. So here's sort of a, a heavier question. I actually ask this oh, question no. in my book. My book is called Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. And it has 10 questions, just like the podcast does, where each chapter asks a big question. This is one of the most important ones that I ask in my book, and it's, you know, it's a little vulnerable, so prepare yourself. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I want to know, or I want you to just think for a second to share, what are you afraid of? Mm. Okay, listeners, (laughs) and I just get a real peek into my heart. Um, I am really afraid of dying alone. (laughs) There you go. I say that is the most extreme of what I think is a fear of not being really significantly important to anyone else's life. Um, And I think that's, you know, that's part of the crisis of being single. It's also, um, like I'm part of probably a whole generation of a, a big chunk of a generation of people that that don't have that nuclear immediate family and I think are trying to figure out what does it mean to build significant relationships that will be not just those short seasonal relationships but the kind of relationship that like if one of us gets cancer we don't have parents to take us to the doctor who will, we don't have a spouse to, we don't have kids to like who like that, those, those, as we get older and more vulnerable and we are less and less able to have that magical independence of Americans, like we're going to need people to rely on. And I think I'm really afraid of like not having that and not, um, figuring out how to have that. Thank you for sharing that. I know that that's <laughs> like not easy for you to say. No, it's scary. I mean, maybe now is not the time to bring this up, but I just wanted to share that when we, when we first met, 
we were on a trip where we were in a van together with a group of people for like eight hours a day for like five hours. And you... Yes, indeed. In a foreign country. In a foreign country. We were all strangers to one another. And you were so stoic and so just... You gave up nothing about your heart and your life. You were a consummate professional for a good three days, probably. (laughs) And then when the dam broke, it broke. And I feel like it did. you sharing yourself just now and just the way I've seen you live out your life in the 10 years since we were in that van together is like really beautiful, Rox. It really is. Thank you. I oddly could trace back some pretty significant through lines to that trip, um, both in what you just described, but also even in just like where I've ended up and how my life's unfolded. So it was a pretty big trip and you were a big part of that. So, um, yeah, so this is fun. (laughs) (laughs) And a little, and a little, a little, well, your podcast works. (laughs) You got me to go really vulnerable. (laughs) It's good to have these conversations built around someone else's prompt. Like it gives you an excuse to share without just raising your hand and being like, let me tell you about what I'm afraid of. Like instead, you're like, well, we're answering this question. We're going to go around the table. We're going to, you know, have this conversation. And you can really like it really does build bridges and relationship. It's not it's not shtick, everybody. It's like a real it's like a real thing. Um. That's right. So if, if anybody thinks that LA people are shallow, just listen to <laughs> Laura's podcast. That's right. Okay, here's another question. I ask this to almost all of my guests that come on my show because I think it says a lot about a person and also it's just my favorite topic of all time. But tell me a book that changed your life. <sighs> Change changing your life is is a really big is a really big one. Um, the book that I, I can think of the most as like a touchstone moment in my life um, was Madeline Ingalls' A Wrinkle in Time. So I was a kid, but I think that's, you know, such a formative time to read a book. Um, but it gave me an imagination for creativity, for thinking differently, for being able to feel thinking that way mattered or was important or was sacred. Something about it at the time that I read it, like it's really what prompted me to want to be more of a storyteller and to be more um, and to and to feel like even the reading that I was doing um, and the more artistic things that I was doing um, were incredibly valuable and were not just um, hobbies or silly passions, but could actually be meaningful work. Okay, mine is also something I read as a kid, but it's a quite a different vibe. <laughs> when I was in the fourth grade, I picked up a copy at a neighbor's house off her shelf. I picked up a copy of It by Stephen King. <laughs> you do love Stephen King. I love Stephen King. I feel like I'm an evangelist for other like middle-aged women to read Stephen King because they think that he's scary and they won't. And I'm like, you Uh have to read him. He is absolutely life-changing. I think he is the greatest living storyteller. 
But I started reading him when I was 10. It was completely inappropriate. P.S. It was ridiculous. And I didn't even understand what that book was about. But kind of what you were saying about it, like, sort of gave you imagination. It gave, like, some validity to to creativity. I was reading Stephen King's sentences and even though I didn't – I couldn't grasp the bigger picture of what a book like it was, you know, really saying, just the way that he wrote, just scenes. I mean, the opening scene of it is in, insanely amazing, also scary. But I feel like when I read his sentences was when I was like, oh, this is what I want to do forever. I, I'm never going to tell stories mm-hmm. like he does, but I want to write sentences. Like it was just a whole different rhythm for me to read versus whatever I had been reading, you know, before that. And I'd say it changed my life. Huh. I Stephen King's book on writing is one of the most influential books I've read in terms of my writing. He's incredible. That book is great. But if you haven't read his fiction, I feel like people sometimes choose on writing as like right. the cop out because they can read Stephen King without being scared. I haven't read nearly as much as you have, but I did read The Stand also at a wildly inappropriate young age. That's a good one, too. Like all of them. That's a long series. I'm not recommending The Stand right now because it starts with a global pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Fair point. Fair point. All right, Laura, it has been so much fun to have you on here and to hear about your slice of LA and your experience of LA. So thank you so much for being here. I loved being here. I could talk with you all day, Rox. Thanks for having me. Laura, tell us where people can find you um, on social media, on Instagram, on the podcast. Remind us of the name of your book. Tell everyone how to connect with you in out there in the world. Well, I have a weekly podcast called 10 Things to Tell You. You can find that at 10thingstotellyou.com or in your favorite podcast app. My first book came out this year. It's called Share Your Stuff. I'll Go First. It's available anywhere that you buy books. And I am an Instagram junkie. I am on Instagram every day at laura.tremaine. Laura Tremaine is our tremendous co-host and ambassador to Los Angeles. Chaz Russo put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. Saved by the City is a religion news service production. The executive producer is Jay Woodward, and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Windham. We are Lara Tremaine and Roxy Stone. Thanks for listening.